I'd like to thank KTMS 990 and Montecito Bank and Trust for making Scam Squad possible. I'm Patty Teal. And I'm Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson. Scam Squad is up next. Sound off. One, one two. two. Sound off. Three, four. One, two, three, four. Scam Squad. Welcome to Scam Squad. I'm Patty Teal here as usual with Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson. And she's got a special guest today. I do. Privileged and excited today to have with us retired FBI victim specialist Debbie Dean, who is known nationwide for her tireless work in helping people who have been targets of scammers. She has lectured all over the country on how to recognize and avoid scams and what to do if you've been scammed. We are so happy to have you with us today. I know our listeners are curious. Could you just describe a little bit your work as an FBI victim specialist? Thank you both, Patty and Vicki, for this invitation to speak today. I actually got 30 plus years working with crime victims in a variety of roles, but the last 16 or so was working for the FBI. One of victim specialists is basically a victim advocate or a social worker who works to assist the victims of crimes that are under investigation by the FBI. In the normal course of a day, that could include crimes involving child pornography. It might include victims of investment fraud. I spent a lot of time working on human trafficking cases, going out on weekends and being parts of the, um, when they would target the different predators and, and do get involved in some of the recovery of the young victims and labor victims and labor trafficking victims and all, and try to get them resources and assistance. Bank tellers were victims of bank robberies, domestic terrorism, and the shooter cases, the active shooter cases that go on. So our work was basically any of the kind of cases you see that the FBI is investigating if there's victims involved under federal law, we were required to be of assistance to those victims up until the time there's either an arrest, an indictment filed, in some cases for many, many years. That's a big and very, very important job. And I know you're continuing your work with victims in retirement. So could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Yes. Um, Well, first of all, I'm not really calling myself retired. And this might be a word (laughs) others want to use as well. I prefer to use the term unleashed. Because in a lot of ways, I've kind of been unleashed to be able to pursue the continued work I want to do with fraud victims. Because for so long, for so many years, fraud victims have had so little a voice in a lot of things that go on. They're treated much differently than violent crime victims. The support that's given to them, even the language we use in talking to them about the crimes that are done, puts more blame on the cyber victims and the fraud victims than what we see with violent crimes. And I want to be a part of efforts to change that. So a lot of the things I do, I volunteer and think locally and nationally. I'm part of a FAST group, which is a financial abuse specialist team that I run here in Ventura County that coordinates helping the professionals uh, do a better job in, in direct services with victims of any kind of financial exploitation who are older or have a disability. I'm also involved in just efforts to try to create support groups around the country for victims of fraud crimes, as well as direct services in some cases when I get asked to by DAs or adult protective services or others. And Debbie has been very helpful to me in dealing with some of our fraud victims. She's been willing to go out and talk to them, particularly romance scam victims Mm -hmm. or victims of the lottery and sweepstakes scams. It's very, very difficult, as Debbie knows, to convince these people people that they are being scammed. But if there's anybody that can do it, Debbie can. And she has been willing to take her time and work with some of the victims here in Santa Barbara. So we're enormously grateful to her. Debbie, what are you seeing as the most current and or I'll use the word dangerous scams targeting our community right now? 
So I kind of wanted to talk about some of the things people may just be starting to see. The first of those is what's called SIM swap swapping, and that's SIM, S-I-M, like your SIM card that's found in every cell phone. The FBI has said that victims lost $68 million to SIM card-based scams in 2021, compared to just $12 million in the three years between 2018 and 2020. So this is a, certainly a crime to keep your eye on because I think increasingly we're going to see more and more victims of this. First, what happens is that the scammer or the fraudster will acquire personal details about that victim. And it might be through a phishing scam where they've gotten them on the phone or a text or an email to get information, or maybe they've purchased that information on the dark web. And once they have that information that they need, they're going to call a phone company, your mobile phone carrier, and they're going to say, guess what? I lost my phone. I really need you to replace it. And my SIM card's gone and my phone's been stolen. And in that way, they hope that the phone company will give them access to that or convert that phone number that belonged to the victims, turn that on to the scammer. And while phone companies have information and basically often will require a PIN number or something to assure that it's the real victim that they're talking to or the person that supposedly lost their phone or their SIM card. Oftentimes, um, they can convince phone companies to do it. Once they get control of that phone number, as you know, that opens the door, especially if people are using a lot of their apps to do financial kinds of things, or even if phones are being used in two-factor authentication and your cell phone number is the way that you have that second way to confirm something. If they've got that cell phone number and that's now theirs, you can be in a lot of financial hurt as well as identity theft kinds of things that can come up. So once you've transferred that kind of thing, it can be, again, real dangerous. And I've also had situations where I know phone numbers have been hijacked in a similar kind of way for victims. Some of my chronic victims caught up, especially in lottery scams and sweepstakes scams, where the fraudster will actually take over the phone number and change the PIN number so that the victim doesn't even have access and no one can call in to that person to find out how they're doing and all. So those are really, really dangerous things. But there is information that the FBI recommends that people can do. If you've been contacted by someone claiming to be from a phone company of some kind, don't volunteer that personal information, like your PIN or your phone number or anything, if they're calling you. Instead, you would call the number, of course, that's on your billing statement or go down to the place, you know, whatever that mobile carrier line is to check that out and avoid posting personal information um, such as your phone number or your address. We need to start thinking of our cell phone numbers actually as not as critical as your social security number, but also one of the entryways that the scammers can get to you, you know, to do harm. So you don't want to post your cell phone number maybe on social media. Be careful of the photos that you share on your social media, all these kinds of things. You want to use a variety of passwords, um, not just one, because if they do gain access to that phone number and you only have one password for all your different accounts, it's going to be real easy for them to overcome that if you've got two-factor authentication and they can complete the transaction. So don't store your passwords in just one place kind of thing on your mobile device, because if that's gone, then you know they have access to that too. And again, don't advertise any information about your assets and things like that. So that to me seemed like one of the more interesting ones to talk about. The only way people are going to know that that's happened to them is perhaps that all of a sudden their phone isn't working and they're going, what's going on here? Um, you know, this is my phone number. Somebody can't call into me. I can't call out. Just some of those kinds of things would be ways of knowing that that's happening. And again, if that happens, go to your mobile phone carrier. And again, please report that crime to the Internet Crime Complaint Center at ic3.gov.
that's really interesting and good information to have. And I, I like the fact that you likened your cell phone number to your social security number. We, we don't make that connection and we don't realize how giving somebody access to our phone, th- that's a bad name. It's actually a computer that stores all of our information. At least many people use that computer to store all of their information, their credit cards and their banking information and their retirement accounts. It's the source of communication too, through texting. That's the way that, you know, you text both with your friends and family, but also, you know, if you do want to be alerted as to when that Amazon package is coming or that FedEx has gone out. So it becomes also a great way for impersonators to access once they have that cell phone number to be able to commit those kinds of crimes against you. Yeah. And of course, what we're seeing a lot lately is where somebody hacks into your uh, account, your email account, and then they have access to everybody in your contact list. And they start sending out phony solicitations, pretending they're you asking for friends to buy gift cards, sort of slippery slope, a dangerous situation, because a lot of people they don't think to look at the uh, at the actual email address if it's different than what your friends might be, or they might not even know what your friend's email address is. They've never checked, and they get sucked right in, thinking they're doing a big favor for a friend. So, yeah, got to protect our phone numbers. That's really an important piece of information for us to have. Artificial intelligence, we've all heard AI, we've heard of that, and the use of technology and things like that, and how more and more things are going to be going through artificial intelligence with robots and all kinds of things. But we don't often think about the use of artificial intelligence in being defrauded by people. And one of the things I've kind of been reading up on a little bit, and I've actually had some situations where I believe this was used both during the FBI and post-FBI, but these technologies can also pose great challenges in other ways, especially with things like privacy. What I'm seeing in the future is the use of facial recognition, as well as audio and video deep fakes. So that's where your voice or your picture, your image, videos that appear to be you talking, and it kind of goes in with what we see with happening with celebrities, where a celebrity may contact you or appear on your social media site and tell you that they're in love with you or they've got this great investment opportunity. Elon Musk's name was used recently. George Strait has been used a lot in romance crimes, as well as some other people. Toby Keith kind of probably depends on your kind of music you like, you're going to have certain scammers that go to that. So I think that whole issue of just fakes and whether it's deep fake by cloning a voice of somebody that's well known, I think that's more and more the ways that future fraudsters are going to be using that technology to defraud us. Tune in next week for part two of our interview with retired FBI fraud investigator Debbie Deem.